Welcome to Gardening Talk, back on 2 and you are FM. Greg Richard here, joined by Scott Sharp. Scott, great to see you once again. What have you got lined up for us this week? Yeah, look, this week I thought we'd talk about getting some heat and colour into your garden. Some heat? Yes. How are you going to get heat into your garden? Well, there's a climber out there, that, uh, a firecracker climber, so that's going to get some heat into the garden. We'll talk about that. All right, sparks will fly there. They certainly will. Sasanqua <laughs> uh, camellias have finished flowering, so it's time to prune them. We'll speak about that. And just uh, general uh, pruning of deciduous trees, including grapevines. Oh, right. You heard it here first. It's, it's the time to do it. <laughs> so we've got Tom from Aberglassen, and he's got a question about dahlias. Hey, afternoon, Tom. How can we help, mate? Well, I've been given a glad bag full of dahlia bulbs with yes. stalks on. Now, when do I plant? Do I plant them once they start to strike? That's my first question about them. Yep. Yeah. Uh, the next one is, do you lift them every year? Because I did have a few at one stage and I left them in the ground and it was during that real wet period and they all rotted. So should they be lifted every year or best left every second year lifted? Yeah, look, I think it's probably best to, to lift them every year. And uh, you don't you don't plant them right now. It's still a bit too cold. So we wait till it warms up until about September, October. And that's when we get them in the ground then. Uh, and then they'll uh, they'll flower, um, you know, in that December, January period, usually about eight weeks after you've put them into the ground. Um, so I think you've probably hit, hit the uh, nail on the head there as far as if you leave them in the ground... Um, for the whole season and it just stays wet and wet and wet, then they just will they'll just rot away in the ground and you, and you lose them that way. So if you wanted to, you could leave you know some in the ground and, and just lift up the rest of them uh, and keep them stored in, in the garage or wherever in a nice uh, sort of dry spot. But uh, yeah, don't, don't go putting them in the ground at the moment. At the moment. And when do you actually cut them back? Do you let them all die back and then cut them back and leave about you know half a metre on each bulb? To, to when you lift them, is that correct? That, look, you always leave bulbs to die back, uh, you know, pretty much all the way because as the the, uh, the plant dies back, it's actually feeding back down into the bulb for next year and uh, helping them split and multiply in under the ground. So, uh, yeah, look, if the flower's sort of gone and then you say, oh, I'm just going to cut it back now, uh, far too early, you're not actually helping the bulb that's left in under the ground, you're not sort of, you know, giving it enough energy. Uh, it needs that uh, that plant to remain up there and keep on feeding back down into the bulb uh, and help it uh, multiply as well. Right. I was thinking about putting some where I had them before, but I would put a load of soil or something to lift the bulbs up out of the sort of the lower part of the garden sort of thing. Yes. Oh, yeah, because it was a little bit too wet there for you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, look, that, that, that's probably a very good idea. Uh, look, it just doesn't seem to want to stop to, you know, rain at the moment. So, you know, I think lifting them up is a, a great idea. Also, just marking out generally, uh, you know, the spot where they are. Um, you know, if you do forget about them and you let them die all the way back, uh, then at least you can go back and find them and, and dig them back out. Right. Okay, thanks very much for your help. Okay, thanks for the call, Tom. Appreciate it. Bye. See ya. We've got Deborah from Cessnock, and she's got a question about bromeliads. Yeah, it's bromeliads. Hello, Deborah. How can we help you? Oh, hi. I've got two big, the sun-loving ones on the veranda, and they've grown too big for the veranda. Now, I want to know, when can I put them in the ground? I'll put them in the front yard. Yeah, so you've got the big Alcantaria ones, have you? How big across are they, the ones you've got? Well, they, I'm having trouble now. If, if I come out the front door, I've got to sort of go round them to get get round out out the door. Yeah, well, we better we better not leave them there too much longer, <laughs> otherwise you're going to be trapped in the house. So yeah, uh, yeah we'll have to get the uh, the jaws of life uh, over to get rid of the bromeliads for you. <laughs> 
look, I, I think the issue now is that they've been living in under the veranda and to go and stick them outside into the coals and, yeah. you know, any potential frost, you're going to do some damage uh, to them, unfortunately. So it might be you just have to sort of jiggle and juggle them around a little bit uh, and try them keep, keep them under some cover uh, until we get back to, uh, back to yeah, start of yeah. September, really, then move them back outside and plant them out there. Then right. they they will quite nicely, uh, you know, handle being out there. Uh, yeah. Depend, you know, as long as there's no real, you know, heavy frost or anything sitting on top of them. Uh, but uh, yeah, look, they, they will handle being out there. But it, acclimatizing them is the big thing. Sticking yeah. them out there right now is not going to be very. Do you think uh, I should do it in stages, perhaps move them out onto the path and leave them for a while and then put them in the ground? Oh, look, I don't think there's any issue about, you know, popping them straight into the ground. It's more about the at the moment they're in a protected position. The cold's not settling on them. They're yes. most probably out of the wind as well. They are, uh, yes. And then we go and, you know, we whack them out there into the garden. Uh, you know, they're being torn, you know, uh, you know, asunder by all the elements blowing them one way or the other and the cold settling on them. And because they're not necessarily a plant... Uh, you know that, that that grows here. You know naturally in yeah. Australia. That's when they start to uh, start to feel a little bit unhappy. So I, I think just wait and acclimatise it back out uh, once it starts to warm up. Right. Oh. Okay. Right. Oh. Um, what's the root system like on them? And they they wouldn't have real deep roots, would they? No. Look, they're, they're actually a very small um, rooted plant. Uh, your, your little uh, bromeliads, you know, the ones you used to, you know, you get in the, the supermarkets and almost like a cut flower. They've only got a very small root system. Yeah. Uh, they're actually called an epiphyllite. They uh, use that uh, root system, in fact, cling to the to the branches of trees in the rainforest. So do the sun ones do the same thing? Look, they, they don't. They'll actually grow in the ground, right. uh, but they, they have a larger root system, but not, uh, you know, it's not a very big and advanced okay. root system. Yep, okay. Yeah, okay. They've done well on the veranda anyway. I got them at Bellingen Market. So. Ah, very good, very yeah. good. Yeah, and look up there, they'd, you know, they would love it a little bit more up yeah. in the up in the warmer weather. Um, you know, they, because the nighttime temperatures up around, uh, you know, Coffs Harbour, uh, you know, up north of there, don't really get much below eight degrees, so no. they handle it a lot better than down here, where, uh, you know, where we can get down to zero, yeah. and then we get frosts as well. So yeah, um, but look, lovely plant. Uh, and very easy to look after. Remember, once they flower, that's when they start to die off and oh, yeah. uh, you have to get yep. the pups or or collect the seeds from them. Yep. Okay, then, Rob. Thank you very much. Okay, thanks for the call, Deborah. Okay, thank you. Bye. I was watching uh, Jungle Cruise the other night with The Rock and they had some. They were cruising up the river and they had some bromeliads that they'd obviously planted there to make the jungle look brighter and happier. Nicely spotted. Yeah, I did. I look. That's what I look for when I'm watching movies. I can imagine you're actually an absolute pest. <laughs> that's the case. Watching movies. Oh, they've got bromeliads there. We'll oh, have brilliant. to watch Jungle Cruise together. I, I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's Gardening Talk back on to you, RFM. Welcome, Craig. How can we help you? Hi, gents. Thanks for taking my call. My question is relating to growing uh, heirloom tomatoes from a seed. Um, the variety that I use is a, is a, it's a, a tomato called Mortgage Lifter, which I've had sort of varying degrees of success with. But my question, my specific question is, if I'm growing them from seed, is it too early now to pop them in some seedling mix and put them on a, in a warm spot on the windowsill with a view to planting them out? You know, obviously, when it gets a bit warmer, or should I leave it, leave it a little bit later? I think it's probably just a, a touch too early uh, at, at the moment, Craig. Right. Uh, we're, I mean, by jinx, we're already at the uh, the twentieth of June already, aren't we? So, look, I'll be yeah, waiting till the end, end of July, uh, you know, mid July to to start to germinate them. Then, 
right. what will really happen is that uh, you'll get them growing and they might not ripen as quickly as you need them to. Uh, but I guess you'll get them, you know, underway. But so, look, I'll be yeah, be waiting till uh, yeah, mid July, end of July, before you start that germination process. And and then just growing them in like a seedling mix in a warm spot. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, again, if you've got a you know a veranda or something where you can just keep them, you know, stop the uh, the cold settling on them, uh, yep. you know, even through August uh, because it still does get cold for those first two to three weeks, uh, and we'll yep. settle on there. So yeah, try and just. Uh, you know, keep that cold off them at that point in time, and then you sure. can get them outside. Uh, really, I guess once the uh, the fruit is set and uh, it's you know up to full size, that's when you want to get them out in the sun to try and get them ripening as much as right, possible. Right, right. But what yeah. I, what I was actually referring to is that uh, I'm growing them from a seed, so they're tiny little seeds. Yes. Like, is it still too early to grow to put them in like a saucer of um, whatever it is, whatever it is, seedling seed raising mix and putting them on the windowsill? Look, you'll certainly get them to germinate now. They'll, they'll still germinate yep. in a warm spot and on the windowsill with the sun. It's more about, you know, are they going to get too big, uh, yep. you know, too oh, soon okay. for you to Before put them outside I... in the cold? Yep. Yeah. Okay, great. All right. And then once they grow um, and they're, and they're um, producing fruit, how often, how often should I be fertilising them and what with, do you think? Yeah, because tomatoes are such quick growers, you, you really are best just to use a liquid fertiliser on them. Okay. Yeah, only because that uh, you know you start putting in you know you put in slow release fertilizer for instance. By the time it's broken down over three to six months, it's not going to have had much effect on that plant. Okay. So liquid fertilizers are always the way to go uh, with a quick growing plant like a tomato. All right, fantastic. I appreciate your advice. Okay, thanks for the call, Craig. Appreciate it. Thank you. Bye. Bye, mate. We've got Mark from Abermain, and he's got a sick lemon tree. Hello, Mark. Yeah, call the call the lemon doctor. How, how can we help you, <laughs> mate? Um, has the lemon tree got a use by date? Well, it, it can do. How old is your uh, lemon tree? Ten years. Ten years. Look, that's probably still got some time in it. Uh, a, a good way to rejuvenate a lemon tree that's looking a bit, uh, you know, sad and tired, and the bark starting to crack, is just to give it a really good hard cutback. Uh, and then you'll get all brand new soft growth. You'll get heaps of fruit on that new growth as well. And it just rejuvenates the plant. Uh, if the trunk's starting to get cracked and uh, you've got, uh, you know, borer or insect um, incursion in through the cracked bark, you can paint it with a, a product called SteriPrune. It's a tar-based paint. Uh, and that just seals up the any wounds in the plant for you. All right, mate. Um, it was covered in, in fruit, but it looked, looked like Frankenstein fruit. Um, that was all. It was covered in some sort of disease. All the uh, lemons. Yeah, uh, they're all queer shapes. So what we did was took every lemon off the tree, um, put them in the, in the garbage. Yes. Um, we um, or my wife pruned a lot of the tree back. Um, it's got some new flowers on it, but there's a lot of a lot of curly leaves on it, like they look deformed. Yeah, look, that might just be that. Uh, you know, there's been some mite activity or some citrus leaf miner going through it. It's a bit late and cold now for citrus leaf miner. Um, but uh, I, I think with a situation like that, it might be best if you uh, use a product like Eco Oil and give the plant a spray uh, just to try and keep any insects, you know, away from any of those nice soft new leaves. Uh, yeah. And then once once the leaves on lemons harden up and they get that darker green colour, then they're pretty yep. safe then. It's, you know, pest and disease doesn't get in them. It's when that they're 
um, you know, they're nice and young and soft. That's when you get pest and disease getting into the leaves of uh, of, of citrus plants. So I think a, a spray with some eco oil might actually, uh, you know, try and keep that um, at bay. And that's something you actually do regularly, probably once every 14 days or three weeks, just to try and keep, uh, you know, your pest and, and disease at, at bay um, by using that eco oil. Okay, mate, we'll, we'll take that advice. Well, I've just wrote that down. Um, and now, yeah, the other thing with lemons, uh, it's in the ground, is it, mate? Yeah, mate, yeah. It's, um, uh, every year it's been excellent. Yeah. Uh, beautiful shape, coloured lemons. But th- this year I think we just had too much water or something. Look, and that can be the case. I'd also be fertilising it with some poultry manure. They love poultry manure. So you can do that uh, two or three times a year. And you can also get some of that uh, citrus food. You know, it's like a, a pelletised uh, citrus food that you get. Uh, it's got lots of trace elements in there that the citrus love. And you can sprinkle that around and water it in as well. Okay, mate. We um, we uh, master in of the sugarcane. Yep. Um, um, uh, spread um, blood and bone around and some those pellets you're talking about, that's what we, we fed it with. Okay, very good. Look, that's that's fantastic. I'd also give it some poultry manure. They really do love it. Okay. I, I don't like the stink, but yeah, that's a good job. <laughs> <laughs> just, uh, mate, just go down to the clothesline and grab a peg and stick it on there for a couple of days and it'll all be well. <laughs> Thanks very much for that. Okay, good on you, Mark. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. And we've got Maureen from Belmont's and she's got a gem, gem magnolia in a pot, which is losing leaves. Good afternoon, Maureen. You must have a magnolia little gem in a pot. Little gem, yes, yeah. I do, Scott. So it's about a month now, and I've, it's been the leaves have been going, falling off, falling off. And then I googled it, and they, you know, I said not too much water, so I cut back on the water. But now it's sort of like a black sooty stuff on the back of the leaves, and some of them are split. Um, and I just don't know what to do. I just thought, oh, it looks like I'm, I'm going to lose it. So is there anything I can do? Uh, yeah, look, the, the black sooty stuff, that sounds like it might have sooty mould on there. Right? Yeah. yeah. so you'd have to spray that with a fungicide. How big is the pot that you've got it in at the moment? Oh, it's, it's quite large. It's only been in, I've had it about a year, I think. Mm. Um, so it's about, oh, two feet high and the diameter is, oh, I don't know, you know. That's all right. Yeah. So it's not an enormously big, yeah. So it's not an enormously big plant yet. No, no. no. They, they don't particularly like winter. They will drop their leaves. They're not, they're not deciduous, but uh, for some yeah. reason they will just you know lose shed some leaves. I guess. Yeah, um, the leaves are going winter. really like a dark, very dark, browny colour yeah. halfway up. Okay. So now, when you said you cut back the watering, are you watering at all or? Oh, yeah, I am watering, but only about oh, once every four or five days now. Right. It's okay. the sun of a morning. Yes. Yeah. And it's under, under a veranda or somewhere, yeah. is it? Yeah. Yes. Uh, look, it, it's still, it, might, it might be that it's not getting enough sun, that it's not quite in the right position. Um, they are a plant mm. that lives outdoor in the full sun. It is, a, it is a sunny spot in the morning. Like, it gets the morning sun. It's a nice spot. So... And gets sun till about in the winter till about oh, 11, 11.30. Yeah, okay, so that, that's not too bad. It might just be that we've just hit sort of a bit of a confluence of events with it where it's, uh, you know, it's winter, they just naturally shed their leaves. Uh, you know, it's, okay. it, it's in undercover. I don't know that I'd be particularly worried about it. I'd just keep on watering it as usual, maybe just a touch off. And you don't want it to be sitting in a saucer of water and soggy, but uh, equally no. you don't want it to be drying out. 
Um, what do you think about the black sooty stuff? Should I be spraying something? Yeah, well, if it has got some sooty mould on it, then uh, you would need to uh, to spray it with uh, some copper oxychloride. Uh, it's a like a copper spray that you mix up out of a powder. Yeah, I think I've got that. Is that what I put on my roses? Yeah, quite possibly, yeah. So yeah. just make sure it's called copper oxychloride. Um, sure. That's what you need to be putting on there. Um, yeah. Because the, you can get, uh, you know, like sulfur that people use on their roses. So make lime sulfur. So make sure you're not using that. Copper oxychloride. Uh, it has to be copper oxychloride that you're going to use. And uh, spray that all over the plant. See if, uh, you know, that helps with any fungal problem that it might have. Mm-hmm. But generally, I think just keep on on watering it. Um, a bit you, of a feed, do you think? No, or? I think that'll probably stress the plant a little bit too yep, much okay. now. Yeah, look, my, my rule of thumb is when a, when a plant's lost its leaves and it's a bit stressed, you uh, you don't go and feed it because it's no, just, in a way, no. adding to that stress. It can't process any fertiliser that you're putting on there. Uh, so, yeah, just keep up the watering. Uh, and, uh, look, it will get warmer eventually. Um, and We won't get the cold winds eventually, but so uh, you just have to sort of see it through until then. Well, thanks for your help, and I'll go and have a look and see if I'm pretty sure that's what I've got in the, in the garage, and I'll give it a spray. Okay. Thanks for the call, yeah, Maureen. Excellent. Thanks very much. Okay. Bye. Have a nice afternoon. Thank you. Bye. We've got Jerry from Belmont, and he's got a question about mulch. Hi, Jerry. How can we help, mate? Good afternoon. How are you? Very, very well. Okay, I've got a. I just need to set the scenario. I've got a large yard with mainly native trees in the yard and some citrus trees. We back onto a large area of bushland, and I have been using for a long time what is called forest mulch from get it from the nursery, which is anything and everything that goes through the chopper. And then I've been spreading that around the yard, which has done a good job. But I noticed more recently that I'm getting what could be white ants in the mulch. Um, and I've, whilst I have the place inspected regularly and no, no white ants in the house, um, I'm looking to see if there is an alternative I could be using instead of this forest mulch. Well, look, certainly there are alternatives you, you can be using. I don't know that the term, look, I'm no termite expert, but I don't know that they're coming in, in the mulch necessarily. They would be generally, you know, coming out of the, the foresty area near your house if they're going to come and uh, do any damage. But I, I guess I, I was just more worried that, you know, in that forest mulch, it might be, you know, building up, you know, like making the soil too acidic, for instance, for some of your plants. So, it might be that you need to go back and start using uh, sugarcane mulch, which is a pH neutral mulch. I know it costs a little bit more and, uh, you know, it's probably uh, sort of not as spreadable. Um, you know, you don't can't get it in bulk necessarily. Um, but it, it, it is a, a, a very good mulch. There's also tea tree mulch, um, which I was always a very big fan of. Uh, I think you just have to ring around and see who's uh, still got that now from the landscape suppliers. But yeah, I was always a great fan of tea tree mulch. Very uh, sort of had more of an attractive look to it, um, uh, and it changed colour over time. Um, so you know, they, they might just be a couple of alternatives for you. Right, you mentioned sugarcane mulch. Would um, straw be a suitable alternative? Yeah, look, you can certainly use uh, you know what used to be hay straw. You have to make sure that it's been properly heat treated though, because you know you hear the stories of people going and you know buying the bale of hay from the you know the side of the road, 
um, and, and then they go and spread it around their garden. And of course, it's got seed all through it and uh, a bit of water hits there, some sunshine, some warmth, and all of a sudden you've got like a, a loosened paddock uh, in your backyard. Uh, yeah, you know, done that. Yeah, so look, great if you've got horses or whatever, but, um, you know, not necessarily fantastic, uh, you know, if, if you've just got a nice, neat little garden that you want to, uh, to uh, not have all those weeds going through. And, and another quick thank you then, and that, just a quick question. Uh, my citrus trees, I, three different types, have been very productive this year, but I have had no end of problem with fruit fly, even though I've got baits and traps out. Has um, this been a common problem this year? I think it has been with the, the amount of moisture and humidity that we've had. Uh, you know, obviously not so bad now as we're in the, into the colder months, but Jerry, you're doing everything you can. You're, you're baiting, you're trapping. Uh, you can go out and spray generally with pyrethrum. Uh, you just have to be careful. You know, you don't you know, when the bees are around. Obviously, you don't want to be spraying. You know, all the time then. Um, but uh, that's that's really all you can do. Just bait like you are uh, with the traps and uh, use some pyrethrum spray um, when the bees aren't present. Okay. Thank you very much, Scott. Thanks. Okay. Have a nice afternoon, Jerry. Thank you. Thanks. Okay. Cheers. Bye. -bye. It's Guarding Talk back on 2 and URFM. We've got time for a couple more calls, and we've got Lynn from Chisholm, and she's got a question about azaleas. Hey, Lynn, how can we help you? Hi, Scott. Um, I've got some azaleas in my front garden. Some are, One's in a large pot, and the rest are in the garden. The one in the pot and half of the ones in the garden, the leaves have gone all um, really pale, um, and some are dying off. Um, and on the back of them, it looks like they've got like little black spots. And I just went and picked one while I was waiting. And they look like a little insect of some sort, very, very small. It, you can hardly see it on the back of the leaves. Yeah, so you've got a azalea lace bug on there by the sound of things. Uh, right. Yeah, azaleas, I mean, they're a really beautiful plant when they, when they flower, but... The trouble is they get lace bug. They also can get red spider. That's when you get that silvering look on the leaf. So uh, unless you're sort of keeping uh, the spray up to them, the insecticide, uh, they can be a bit of a touchy plant. Um, so look, you are unfortunately going to have to spray uh, to try and get that lace bug back under control. Okay. And interestingly, like half the garden, um, they're in, in flower at the moment. They're just flowering like crazy. Yes. Um, and looking beautiful and, and leaves are healthy and all of that. But then the other half um, has got this thing, lace bug, I guess. So if I spray, um, is it going to affect the healthy-looking plants? Or No, no. And look, in fact, I would suggest that you, uh, you go and spray um, all of the plants in the garden, all the azalea plants, because chances are the lace bug is going to be uh, spreading around. Now, the other thing to do is also just to... Are they... The, the ones that are being affected, are they in a, a separate area of the garden, for instance? Uh, no. The, the, the whole garden runs across the front of the house, which faces northeast. Um, the ones sort of, as you're looking at the house on the, the left-hand side... Are fine. The ones, as you're looking at the house on the right-hand side, have got this problem. Oh, okay. I was just trying to pinpoint that there might have been some differences in the soil or, or something. But if you're saying yeah. they're all, you know, largely in the no, same garden, all in the, yeah, the one garden. Um, I do also have in amongst there some uh, gardenia plants, but they're looking quite healthy and 
happy as well. So. Yeah. Okay. Well, look, I, I'd go and grab uh, some spray uh, for the uh, for the lace bug. Uh, when you go to your garden centre, they'll be able to help you out um, with a specific spray for the lace bug. Uh, I'd also, uh, you know, maybe not uh, at the moment because they're flowering, but both gardenias and azaleas love cow manure. Uh, so it might be that uh, you know once they've all finished flowering, you go and grab uh, you know a few bags of cow manure and give them a good old feed all the way along the garden. Okay, lovely. Thank uh, you very much. Okay, you, you'll get it back under control, but unfortunately it is, uh, you know, a, a problem that just has to be, you know, sort of regularly looked after and uh, kept under control. Yeah. Do I spray under the leaf or just sort of on top of the plant? Yeah, so you'll get a systemic spray from your garden centre and that'll be absorbed in through the leaf and it will get, okay. get the lace bug in under there. Okay. Okay. Thanks, Scott. Okay, thank you, Lynn. See you, bye. We've got Kim now from Charlestown, and she's got lawn problems. You might think it's army grubs or something. Ooh, Kim, describe what's happening. Uh, hello. Hello, guys. Uh, look, we had this lovely lawn, beautiful lawn, and I always listen to you guys, and these old tappies are in up to oh, I've got these little piles of, sand, piles of dirt out of the lawn, and I think you said, oh, look, that shows you've got a healthy lawn, it's worms. So I had all that. And then as it's gotten colder, my lawn has completely died. And when you walk on it, it feels like you're walking on clumps of mud. It feels like it's all been undermined. Okay, well, look, at that could just be that the worms have been doing that, um, you know, as they because the, it's, it's just been so wet and they've been driven up to the surface. So it could be that that's what's been happening. What type of lawn do you have, Kim? Is it a well, buffalo or a cooch lawn? Predominantly, I have buffalo, but I'm forever trying to fight to keep <laughs> Out of it. Yeah, look, that that is a problem. Now, look, one of the issues with buffalo uh, and and uh, is that it does sort of go a little bit dormant, more dormant than other lawns uh, here in Newcastle during winter. Uh, so that's probably why you're getting that almost brown colouring uh, to it. Uh, so I wouldn't be necessarily concerned about that. Uh, as far as uh, trying to you know repair that that damage you know that the earthworms have been doing. Unfortunately, there's not much we can do about that at the moment. We just have to hope that it dries out a touch. It, it, a good idea might be for you, though, to go and grab uh, what we call dolomite lime and sprinkle that across the soil, uh, across the lawn, because that will sweeten the soil for you. So that's called dolomite lime, and I think that might be a good idea just to try and sweeten up the soil uh, for you because it's just been so wet and moist. It, it almost, I feel like in the spring I'm going to have to dig all that up and start, start from scratch. Yeah, look, I, I wouldn't be going and doing that. Uh, lawn's a very resilient sort of plant. Uh, you, it'll just come back, you know, once we start to warm up and once it dries out a little bit. Uh, I'd really just be going and getting the lime. Uh, it's not definitely not army grubs. Uh, they've, uh, you know, they've gone uh, now. That was something that happens in February, March. Too cold for them now. So that's nothing to be uh, concerned about. You know, it's not army grub. I'd really just uh, hold on tight now, hope that it dries out a little bit and we uh, get through to the warmer months. Your buffalo lawn will come back to life. Okay, thanks very much, Scott. Oh, uh, dolomite lime, is it? Yeah, dolomite lime's the other thing that you might just want to go and sprinkle around just to try and sweeten up the soil. Okay, will do. Thank you very much for your time. Okay, thanks for the call. Thank you, bye. Cheers, thanks, Kim. Scott Sharp, we're nearly out of time for another week. I always forget that grass is a plant. <laughs> it's a strange thing to say, but you yeah. think of a plant and you think something tall or something or up in the ground but 
I always forget that grass is a plant. It's got those leafy things on them. It's got the rooty things. Yeah, but it's got all the ingredients for a plant. It does. I mean, just stir and look what happens. It becomes a plant. <laughs> Scott Sharp, thank you very much. We'll catch you again next Monday. Yes, talk to you then. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.